It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling And everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year And welcome to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is where we take a look at the things of this world through a biblical perspective. And with me is Dan Delzell. And Dan, it is the season. Tis the season, as they say, to be jolly. It's Christmas time. And uh, I guess for uh, Christians, it's an exciting time. And really for anybody, it can be an exciting time to have this feel-good time of year with also the importance of what Jesus did for us, his birth, and that's where it all starts. And so uh, we're going to touch on that a little bit uh, today. Actually, that's going to be the focus of our conversation. But I did want to ask you a question or get your comments on something. You know, last time we talked, we were talking about the Supreme Court and the election and the Supreme Court possibly taking up some of these lawsuits, mainly the Texas lawsuit that was going on, and a bunch of other states uh, Republican lawmakers, attorneys general from other states have all, they all filed on to this lawsuit that Texas had uh, put forth and the Supreme Court rejected it, said they would not take it. And so, uh, I thought that was interesting that they kicked it and punted because it should have been something that they should have at least been able to consider and hear with the amount of concern behind the vote of fraud that's going on in this election. Yes, Ron, I tell you, it was so disappointing. Uh, you know, um, I'm I'm 56, and in the past 50 years, obviously Roe v. Wade was just such a disastrous decision by the Supreme Court that's resulted in millions of unborn babies being slaughtered in the womb. Uh, but after Roe v. Wade, son, I can't think of a decision the Supreme Court has made in a case and this, of course, was just to, their decision to not even hear the case. But I can't think of a historic decision they've made that has been a worse decision, in my opinion, than when they decided they weren't going to even hear the evidence. They weren't going to even allow oral arguments here in Texas versus Pennsylvania. In spite of the fact is, as you say, Son, uh, you know, half the country uh, believes that the election was stolen. Um, half the country believes that um, there were so many illegal things done and illegal votes counted and, and fraud uh, going on. Um, and there are so many people that believe that these swing states that uh, that the Texas suit, even though it was, you know, Texas uh, versus Pennsylvania is, is the name of the suit. But it involved, uh, you know, these other swing states as well, um, you know, Georgia and uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. And, and many people believe that these states on went against their own state constitution by um, allowing votes to count after election day and, and the way that their own states made some decisions on that leading up to the election and the months leading up to the election without going through their, their state legislatures the way that um, their state constitutions say they have to do it. So it seems to me, Son, that the Supreme Court, out of fear, um, I mean, that's all I can think of, out of fear, um, just decided to punt. You know, it was fourth and one. Uh, these election, uh, disputed election results um, were at fourth and one. It wasn't going to be a big hurdle for them to go for it on fourth down and just listen to the evidence. Just listen to it. That's all that, you know, um, the lawyers were asking for. That's all that 
uh, the attorney general of Texas who brought the suit. That's what he was asking for. Uh, but they wouldn't even listen to it, Son, and it's so disappointing. And, and now, of course, Justice Alito and Justice Thomas, they dissented on the uh, Supreme Court's decision there um, to not even hear the case. And so I'm, I'm thankful to know that two of the, of, of the uh, conservative uh, justices were willing to hear the case, as you would expect, Son. You know, you would expect that they would at least be willing to hear, given, given, Son, how much law and or uh, law and uh, I'm sorry, uh, disorder there's been, how much how much um, anarchy there's been um, against law and order uh, this year. And here was an opportunity now for the really who I would call son our judicial parents, uh, the highest court in the land. OK, they had a suit brought by siblings, mainly one sibling to, to a, a fellow uh, sibling in this, uh, you know, Texas to Pennsylvania, but also to these other states. Uh, there were six states that formally joined Texas on that, although, you know, there were more attorneys generals, of course. I think something like 18 or 19 states when you count them. But here's the deal. When you have a sibling son coming to the parent and saying, hey, there has been a major violation here. Can I talk to you about it? And your parents say no. Okay, granted, you're in a blended family, okay? Um, we have a blended judicial family. Um, but the nine justices of the Supreme Court are our judicial parents. Of the, of the siblings, of the states, the 50 United States of America. And by the way, son, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction when it comes to state versus state uh, suits like this. And on top of that, um, it's not as though the Supreme Court has never heard state on state cases. If you go back, son, for example, 90 years ago, there was a case, Arizona versus California, it had to do with uh, the Colorado River and how much water uh, these states were taking from the river. And, and uh, you know, they didn't want to be uh, cheated by other states. And so the Supreme Court stepped in and there are like six states that, that uh, you know, get, get water from the Colorado River. And the Supreme Court stepped in and decided how much water each state could take. Why did they do that? Because siblings brought a case, a legitimate case. And not only did the court hear the case, but they even made a decision in the case. And I'll tell you what, son, if the Colorado River is important to the health of those states and our nation, which it is, how much more important to our nation is what I would call the presidential electoral river? Um, the electoral river that flows between the 50 states and Washington, D.C., the electoral river that flows toward the ultimate decision of who we as a republic vote to become the president. And we assume that the other states are going to be law-abiding. We assume that the other states are going to follow the Constitution. If they don't, we at least have some parents we can go to to, to, to bring our complaint to them. We assume they're going to, you know, the other states are going to, going to do it right. But when they don't, as we saw in, in this election, I mean, the evidence is there. Um, even if a person maybe doesn't accept every uh, every allegation of fraud, it, it would be very difficult, even impossible, to get rid of many of the allegations that have been backed up uh, by affidavits, hundreds of affidavits of poll workers and others. Um, so, so, Son, this was a historic case. Um, the, the Supreme Court, they punted. Uh, in my way of thinking, this was judicial negligence. Um, this, to me, uh, after Roe v. Wade, 
is is really the second biggest mistake, in my opinion. I'm, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, you know, a legal expert. But I'll just, I'm just saying as a citizen, son, as a Christian, as an American, I can think of no decision the Supreme Court has, has made uh, that would rise to the level of the second worst decision um, after Roe v. Wade. And I suspect that there would be many who might um, tend to agree with that. I mean, come on, folks, listen to the evidence. If you listen to the evidence and you can apply the law and you can show that the law was not broken, or you can at least show that even if the law was broken, there's no way it could come anywhere close to changing the outcome. At least you've heard the complaint. At least you've allowed the oral arguments to take place. At least you've done your job. But what was it, son? Was it fear? Who are they afraid of? Uh, and, and of course, and I'll leave it at this, the, the biggest surprise is that these three justices that, that you know, President Trump appointed, that, that they declined to hear the case. And, and that's not disappointing because, because President Trump selected them. You know, he did not select them expecting to get any favors, nor should he, nor should they give him any favors. But what makes it a surprise, Son, is that they all claim to be constitutional-minded uh, judges who believe in the original meaning of the Constitution and who are conservative. And for these three conservative judges to leave Alito and Thomas kind of just by themselves, seven to two, seven to two, say we're not going to listen to it. Um, we're going to punt the ball. Something was going on there, son. Uh, I mean, massive spiritual warfare, I'm sure. Um, fear, perhaps. Um, you know, immediately they, they, they were it, it, they were accused of not having courage, not having wisdom. I mean, I don't want to be too hard on these three newbies, you know, these three newbies to uh, the Supreme Court, um, all, you know, coming here in the last four years with Amy Comey, Coney Barrett being the, the, the latest. But but how in the world, um, when they had this opportunity to help restore order in America and, and, and you know, if son, they had at least listened and, and applied the law and, and shown no, you know, yeah, there were some things that were amiss, but, um, you know, this is why, um, you know, nothing drastic needs to happen right now because, uh, by and large, it was a pretty fair election. If they'd have done that and done their homework and listened to the arguments, fine. But the way they did it, son, is going to leave a very bad taste in everybody's mouth, or at least those who, you know, uh, want, want the truth in this. And I tell you, son, I think it has greatly damaged the reputation of the Supreme Court. I think that it will be very difficult for them to get back the reputation that they've lost with this unless they somehow um, step up to the plate and show that they're willing to intervene when siblings in the United States of America have something as major as, as this kind of a lawsuit, Texas versus Pennsylvania, after Roe v. Wade, you know, I'll tell you, son, it's right up there at the top. You talk about bungling, uh, bungling a case. Um, in my opinion, that's exactly what happened. You know, Dan, I think there's a lot of people this past year that have lost credibility when it comes to running this country as far as elected officials, you know, from the state of California up to the House of Representatives, you know, even in the Senate. There's a lot of things. I mean, most recently, we've heard that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer did not want to negotiate any type of stimulus to help the American people that were struggling, people that lost their jobs, people that were hurting financially because they did not want to give Trump a victory. And now they're willing to, too little, too late, though, willing to do 
some negotiations now that there's a new president, supposedly. And, you know, that's the type of thing that we've gotten to in America. You know, when has it become or when did it become that the elected officials that are supposed to be working for the people are now these oligarchs that are sitting there telling us what to do? You know, unfortunately, here in California, our king, Newsom, is, you know, on the ropes and people are tired of him. And now the Democratic Party is tired of him. And so he might hopefully get bounced through a recall. And maybe that sends a message that, you know what, the people, we the people are the ones that you serve, not us serving, you know, these oligarchs that sit in Congress for hundreds of years and, you know, get rich off of the American people. And I think a lot of people failed. And I hope that this opens the eyes you know, we're starting to see some momentum. You know, Republicans, for example, have always been people that were more passive and just let things go. But this has demonstrated that people are now willing to fight. And maybe because of this, we'll start to see more people fighting for what's right. And maybe we'll start to see things move in a different direction, kind of like the you lose the battle but not the war. You know, and so I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what this uh, what comes from it. There's still some things out there that are going to be lit. You know, I guess the legislature and maybe other lawsuits are still out there and there's some other considerations. But it'll be interesting to see where this goes and what happens, because here's the other thing, too, is, you know, through the election, people were siding, you know, let's say with the president, Trump. And uh, now that they've won re-election, you know, they're abandoning them. And that's what it's become. It's become this, like, narcissistic thing that's what's in it for me now that I got myself, now that I got my own. I'm out of here and I don't need you anymore. So, you know, to hell with you. Well, I, I tell you, son, you know, it, it really is infuriating when you stop and think about something, okay? I mean, whether whether a person loves or hates Donald Trump, here's the deal. Nobody can argue with the fact that he busted his butt for four years, and those final weeks and months, I mean, nobody worked harder to get out to the people and was loved by thousands of people. Meanwhile, um, you know, Joe Biden hit, hit in his bunker. Um, some say, you know, he knew that the election was, was, was rigged, and, and so he knew he didn't have to go out and do anything. But whether he did or not, the bottom line is he did nothing, really. I mean, Trump was out busting his butt. Um, and then the thing, again, that's so disappointing with the Supreme Court is this time. You have such egregious, such egregious accusations, allegations, evidence, affidavits. I mean, all sorts of stuff that's being put forth. And, and, and the Supreme Court hastily, in my opinion, punts the ball rather than listening to oral arguments. And I tell you, I think they were so scared to death of the political climate. Maybe they were scared to death that, you know, people will riot if we actually apply the law or, or you know, some people uh, will think we're, that we're just, you know, um, Trump supporters if we take this case. I mean, whatever the, the ill-advised rationale was to to quickly punt the ball on that. Um, I think it was just kind of a um, convergence of factors, kind of a perfect storm. And, and I don't know whether all these other states coming aboard the suit and then the different attorneys general, I mean, you would think that that would motivate them even more to take it, but did that possibly cause them to feel like, well, we're not going to get into this where um, now every time, you know, we have an election, you know, people start, uh, you know, filing a lawsuit, but, but all they would have had to have done Son is think through it this way for a second, and that is this. Is there even one allegation of, of a Republican poll worker, uh, of a Republican-controlled county, uh, of, a, of, of a state, uh, of there being any, um, you know, problems going on, uh, fraud going on? I mean, I sure didn't hear of it. If it was, if it, if it was, it was few and far between. It all had to do, uh, mostly anyway, with these swing states, 
the democratically controlled cities that have a long history and even many, um, you know, many have been have been uh, tried and convicted of, of election fraud in many of these cities. And so it's nothing new. But but all they would have had to have done on the Supreme Court is say, hey, you know what? This is a historic case. This is a very different year. We're not going to make our decision based on fear. We're not going to just reject this because we're afraid this might happen. We're afraid we might be thought of this way. You know, you have to rise above that for the sake of the people. You have to rise above that for the nation. Yes, there would have been some people, many on the left, who would have accused them of all sorts of terrible things. You know, well, you're just doing this because Trump appointed you, blah, 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 blah. It's got nothing to do with that. It has to do with the law. It has to do with the Constitution. And that's where, um, I tell you, the court so let down millions of Americans because I don't believe some. They stood for the Constitution. Um, how can you argue that you're standing for the Constitution when you have such a serious suit as Texas versus Pennsylvania and you won't even listen to the evidence? I mean, I'm not surprised that that happened in some of these swing states where, you know, Trump's lawyers, Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, and they, they were finding that, you know, many of those courts wouldn't even listen to the evidence. I'm not surprised, uh, you know, because so many judges have become so politicized, so many even, um, I mean, even we, we saw, you know, different Republican governors like in Georgia and elsewhere, you know, different people who, who just were making decisions that didn't seem to have, make any sense legally uh, as far as how they were running the, the election in their state or at least overseeing it. But, but I tell you, Son, um, whatever their motivation, um, I think the Supreme Court uh, will go down in history as, as having made a, a very bad decision to not hear this case. And, and, and if, if they don't end up taking a serious look at it before they just rush Biden into, uh, into office here, um, then it's done. And, and I think history will prove, in my opinion, that, that it was a terrible, fear-based um, uh, just kind of a knee-jerk reaction to um, all the Trump hatred that's out there. And I don't believe that these three, uh, these three justices, uh, Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, I certainly don't believe they hate Trump at all. I'm sure deep down they appreciate you know, that he appointed them, for sure. Um, but for some reason, these conservative justices, who, who it seems their whole career have stood by the Constitution um, and the original meaning of the Constitution, for some reason, son, whether Roberts talked him into it as the chief justice, whether, I mean, who knows? I don't know what happened behind closed doors. I don't know what kind of peer pressure was put on them to not even hear the case. But I'm just thankful that Thomas and Alito didn't cave to that. And um, so it was seven to two. Um, seven said, no, nope, you know, no, you kids go figure it out. We're not going to get involved. Yeah, we're the parents. Yes, we have decision-making authority. Yes, it sounds like these are some very serious accusations accusations but now you guys go figure it out we got better things to do um what a what, what a shame what, what a what a real shame son that, that this happened here in america and the last thing i'll say is um you know uh, just like some people think the pope is intolerable um if anybody thinks the supreme court is intolerable um well ask yourself how did how did the supreme court uh how did they allow for abortion to be legal in this country and if they can allow for that then these fallible men and women are capable of making any sort of terrible decisions when under pressure, when under delusion, when under whatever. And, and so let, let's not kid ourselves and think that somehow the Supreme Court of the United States has even an ounce of wisdom compared to the wisdom of God. I mean, yeah, they're, they're intelligent, but not compared to God, they're not. Um, they're foolish compared to God, and so are we. 
you know, and, and this would have been a time for them to spend a week in prayer and say, Lord, before we just punt on this thing, we're going to, we're going to really pray for wisdom on how we should handle it. And, and that obviously wasn't done with Roe v. Wade. You know, there were not Christians on the court praying about that. Um, you know, because if there had been Christians on the court praying about that, then God would have led them to, um, to not make abortion legal, period. I mean, there's just no question. And, and I believe in this particular case that if you'd have had Christians say, we're going to take a week, or just the court, even if they're not Christians, just, we're going to take a week and think about it. Will you pray for us? Uh, but no, uh, before you know it, I mean, we, we barely even get into the weekend. And, and no, no, we're not, we're not going to take it. I think maybe it was a week ago today, son. And they just said, no, we're not even going to listen to it. And, um, so yeah, <laughs> disappointing is, uh, is the least we can say on that. You know, Dan, I think one of the problems this country has is that we've got too many lawyers as politicians running things. You know, when the country was founded, we had businessmen, we had farmers, we had inventors, you know, we had all these different type of entrepreneurs, you know, people that were just kind of everyday people and their decisions were based on things that affected people every day and that was the foundation of our government you know these part-time legislatures that would live their life as whatever it was they were doing and then they would go and legislate you know when the time came now we've got all these lawyers running things and all they do is spend their time sitting there thinking how we can muck things up how can we get reelected? how can we change the the rules of law and you know one of the things i think that might be refreshing is you know tommy tuberville he uh, yeah. is the new senator, I believe, out of Alabama. You know, he's been a lifelong football coach, okay? And he's yeah. one that might actually stand up. He's contemplating standing up to challenge the Electoral yeah, College. Yeah, I saw that. And so, you know, maybe we need people, not necessarily people that are, well, maybe we need more football coaches in there. I don't know. But maybe we need more people in there that aren't lawyers, you know, people that can understand yeah. what it's like. Because, I mean, come on. We've got Nancy Pelosi sitting up there during the pandemic showing off her freezer full of ice cream. These people are so disconnected from the American yeah. people. I mean, these people don't yeah. have any idea what it's like. They sit and they disappeared all year. The time when we needed politicians to do their job the most, they took off, they got their paychecks, they disappeared, and they were derelict in their duties. And so they are so out of touch from reality that they have no idea what the common person is doing or what it's like to even have the life of a commoner, so to speak. And so right. you know, they're out of touch. And so we need people in there. And hopefully people will start to learn through this, like, you know, California is, that even some of the Democrats are tired of Gavin Newsom. And it's not just down political lines anymore. It's, hey, us, the people, are being affected by it. And constituents are complaining to their representatives. And representatives now are starting to maybe listen and see, yeah, there is a problem with these lockdowns. So hopefully, if anything, maybe we'll start to see, you know, some movement towards the power of the people again, taking it back from the, you know, legislature that thinks they're, you know, think that they're kings and think that they're the ones that we should be serving them. And, um, you know, it's completely flipped on how it should be from the foundation of this country. Well, you know, it's really interesting that, that you use that word king, son, because, um, you know, we, we, we know that in, in Jesus's day, um, you know, King Herod was, was, uh, was opposed. Uh, well, he was scared of, of what he was hearing about, um, you know, the birth of, of the savior. And, and yet you had, um, you had three wise men who, uh, that's an interesting story in itself, Son. Um, you know, maybe we can talk about that a little bit. You know, you had three wise men who, who, who were led by a star. They saw a star in the east. And, um, 
and they, and they went to, 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 to worship the king. Um, but, but, I mean, back then, I mean, you had people living in darkness like Herod. You had people living in the light like, like, the, uh, like, like the three wise men. And, uh, and, and while we're on the wise men, it, it's kind of interesting, Son, because, you know, in, um, in our nativity scenes and, and Christmas plays and everything, you know, the, the wise men are right there. And that's all, you know, most of us have known ever since, uh, you know, ever since we were young. But, but what's interesting is that when we, when we read in the Bible about um, the actual wise men and, and we read about them, them coming to see the Lord, um, we, we see that, that when they came, they actually came into the house uh, and, and they saw the child. And, and that's because, son, and it's not the same word as, as, an, as an infant. Um, it, uh, by the time the wise men got there, we, this was a period later after Jesus had been born. So it wasn't like we see in the um, kind of in the nativity scene where, you know, they're there the night that, that he was born. And again, I, I don't want to, you know, ruin anybody's uh, idea of, of Christmas or celebration. But, but the wise men, if, if we just go according to scripture, um, you know, uh, it, it's recognized that they came in a little later point. I mean, was it a year later? I mean, you know, how long was it? But, but there's no doubt that they bought, uh, they, they brought their, their gifts of, of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, it's interesting, Son, that the Bible doesn't even tell us how many wise men came. We assume there were three because there were three gifts, but we don't know for sure. I mean, there could have been, there could have been more than that. But what's really interesting are that these gifts that they brought all represented um, something to do with Jesus, the king. And the first there being gold, which was, you know, uh, then it was such a precious metal as it is today. Uh, it was uh, even much scarcer then than, than it is uh, today. Uh, but, but that represented the kingship of Jesus. And now, you know, the savior of the world, the king of Israel, the king of kings and lord of lords, uh, was being born, the Messiah, the Redeemer, and so they brought gold, and that represented the kingship of Jesus, and, and that his kingly reign would last forever. Um, you know, the second gift of the wise men was the frankincense, and and this was a was a beautiful, uh, fragrant um, offering that was brought. This this incense, this frankincense, that was used to um, anoint the priests when they would come into the temple. And, and so here now Jesus was being given frankincense because he came into the world as our high priest. He, we, we no longer needed to rely upon, you know, the priest to, um, to, to go into the most holy place, you know, once a year and never without blood. Um, but, but now we had the great high priest who came in the order of Melchizedek. And, and now Jesus, this babe, would one day go uh, to the cross, and he would die uh, as our great high priest, opening up the door for us to go to the Father, becoming our mediator to the Father. So not only is he the king who the gold was brought to, but now he's also the, um, the priest, our high priest, the mediator between us and the Father that, that the wise men brought the frankincense. And then the third thing they brought son was was the myrrh, and 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 this uh, this resin that, that that they brought was actually something um, that was used uh, at the time of death. It was like a embalming substance, although they didn't have, of course, uh, the type of embalming back then that we do today. But but what what they would do is they would um, use this uh, they would use this resin there with the burial cloths that um that were used when a person uh when a person died in fact what's what's really interesting 
is that um, after Jesus, uh, after he died, and then, um, you know, they were getting ready for his burial, we're actually told in, uh, in John chapter 19 um, that Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And uh, now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And, of course, we remember John 3, where Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be uh, born again. Well, interestingly, now here in John 19, son, it says that Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So, you know, he would have had his, you know, he would have been wealthy. He would have had his servants carrying that. But um, his, his uh, myrrh and, and uh, aloes. And then it says, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with uh, Jewish burial customs. So, so here we, we see the myrrh that was being um, used as, as, with the burial cloth for our Lord um, here um, at the time of his death. And it was myrrh that the wise men brought. And, and by the way, um, when, um, when Mary anointed the Lord's feet um, with, with oil, that was representative also of, of uh, Jesus even said, preparing him for his death. And so, you know, this, this, uh, this resin, this, um, this myrrh that was brought, it pointed to the bitterness of what Jesus would, 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 would uh, endure. So the, the gold for his kingship, uh, the frankincense for, uh, for his priestly role, but then the myrrh for the, the bitterness of the cross and the bitter death that he would suffer uh, before rising from the dead. So, so um, all of those gifts came from wise men, and, and wise men still seek him, son. And we live in a country where um, there are those who just are, seem content to live in darkness. Um, but meanwhile, Jesus is the light of the world, and this Christmas is no different than any other Christmas um, You know that this world has known. It's an opportunity for people to come to the Lord. They can bring their own gifts of repentance and faith. They can humble themselves at the foot of the cross. They can bring to the Lord a contrite heart. Uh, a, a sincere desire to follow him, and they can believe in him as their Savior. And, and those who do that, Son, will find that the Savior is, is more than willing to forgive them, uh, make them his, uh, his disciple, uh, and, and bring them home to heaven one day when they die. So this is a glorious season that we're in, Son, and in spite of what's going on with some of these other things, um, disappointing at times, and a long year with COVID and, you know, all of this, but, hey, we have a Savior uh, he is Christ the Lord. Um, he has been born. He was born in Bethlehem, as the prophets were told. And uh, it's time now to celebrate his birth because um, there's no greater news uh, anywhere on earth. You know, Dan, I'm amazed when religious figures, religious leaders maybe we can call them, uh, will sit there and, 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 and just people in general will sit there and think that God doesn't use or only uses a specific kind of person. Okay, and you look at the Bible, and the Bible is wrought full of examples of Jesus using less than desirable people, so to speak. Okay, people that are commoners, people that are like nobodies. And you know, when Jesus came, King of the Jews, he didn't come in all his glory. He came as the son of a carpenter. He was born in a manger. Okay, and so he had these humble beginnings. And in fact, part of it, part of the reason why he was probably rejected could be because of the manner in which he came, 
people were expecting this hero to come, this conqueror, yeah. this you know, this king yeah. to sit on the throne, and yet this king comes in a lowly fashion. And then you look at his parents, you know, Mary and Joseph, and how God used them, you know, and how it said that, you know, Joseph, you know, being a righteous person, he even wanted to put away Mary secretly like he wasn't even going to go about and make this public spectacle of anything and then you know the dream god comes to him jesus you know the angel comes to him and tells him hey you know this is what's going on take mary and you know and so all these things are going on and you have these these lowly people so to speak in the eyes of society that god is using to do these great things you know i think back to the old testament you know the example of rahab you know she was a harlot you know that god used and in fact she's in the lineage of jesus you know, and you look at, you know, King David and the stuff that he went through. Sure, he was a king, but then, you know, he had all his sins that he did. You know, he had uh, people murdered. <laughs> you know, he had uh, relationships with women, not his wife. And so yet he was a man after God's own heart. And then God corrected him and he repented. And you look at all these things that go through the Bible. And where is it that God ever uses? I mean, the fishermen. You know, the tax collectors, you would think the tax collectors, you know, probably the most hated people around. And you look at these people that are being used as an example, and they're not the elitist. They're not the Pharisees. They're not the kings. They're not the established ruling class of the time. They're these lowly people, you know, and that's what Jesus really, uh, I think, the the whole story kind of people miss out on is that God can use anybody, regardless of who you are, regardless of your status, regardless of what you have in your bank account, because he doesn't call you based on your status here on earth. He calls you according to your heart and his desire for you to serve him. And that servanthood could be that servanthood could be anything. It could be helping your neighbor. It could be helping your people in your community or maybe even greater things. We don't know. But when we look at the, the, the lowly, humbly beginnings of Jesus and then ultimately his death, I mean, this first go around, he had miracles and things like that, but there was nothing kingly about what he did except if you look at what he did, his service towards yeah. other people. You know, he yeah. didn't go around flaunting his king his kingdom you know he went around and he was a humble servant of god that served the people he was able to you know do some miracles he was able to preach he was able to share the message and then ultimately the greatest sacrifice he died and to save us from our sins and then eventually he'll come as that glorified king as that reign you know as the conqueror he'll come back in the way that people probably envisioned him to become to come the first time around but we forget that you know Jesus can use, God can use us no matter who we are, no matter what we are, no matter what our status is, because all we have to do is be open to that because that's the type of person that he uses. He can use anybody. Well, you know, Son, as you're sharing uh, just those just amazing thoughts, and I completely agree with you, I, I'm reminded of, of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, where he wrote that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Uh, and then, and then a few verses later, you know, it says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And and just as you say, Son, I mean, they weren't looking for this kind of a king. You know, um, 
you know, in, in the Jewish mind, I mean, you know, the idea that, that this guy, this carpenter is, is going to come and he's going to start calling out our religious leaders. He's going to start calling them things like whitewashed tombs. He, he, he's going to, he's going to start just, you know, uh, telling them what, what they're really like. Uh, and then, um, you know, his followers are going to claim that because, you know, he was crucified uh, for everything that he said and did. You know, he was crucified by those who thought that it was wrong what he was doing. Um, that, that somehow that death somehow can mean something for the average Jew today. Um, you know, it takes sanctified reason to understand the gospel. It takes the Holy Spirit to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, that he truly is the Savior of the world. And it takes faith then to believe that, that, that Christ died for my sins and that, yes, that foolish message of the cross, um, it is the very message that saves my soul through faith because his death paid for my sins. But no, the, uh, the, the typical Jew, the typical Gentile, the typical human being with their human reason, or even the Jews with their Jewish understanding, um, nobody was looking for this kind of a king. Even Jesus' own disciples, Sean, even they didn't understand um, thereafter Jesus was, was crucified. They, they still hadn't quite gotten it, but they soon would. The Holy Spirit would sh- soon be on the scene um, there in fullness of power. And, and then the Lord opened up their minds, uh, it says, so they could understand the scriptures. And boy, that's what we need, Son, today. We need God uh, to open our minds. We need to go to the Bible and, uh, and just open it up. I was, you know, listening to a testimony by a, a brilliant man, a brilliant Jewish scientist who, um, he came to know uh, Jesus as the Messiah back in uh, the 70s. And he was describing, you know, how that worked in his life. And, and then his mother, uh, he was talking about how, um, you know, she ended up reading, you know, beginning with Genesis. She began reading through the Bible and, and the Lord began to speak to her. And, and she too then came to see that, that, that Jesus truly is the promised Messiah. But, but it takes sanctified reasons on it. It takes the Holy Spirit. And, and that's obviously what, what politicians need today and the work that they're doing. It's what government officials, it's what, what, what uh, you know, doctors who are working with COVID patients, it's what everybody needs. But um, it's, it's what we all need as sinners more than anything. We need a savior. Uh, we need forgiveness. And that's what Jesus brought us, that babe in the, babe in the manger. I mean, who would have thought? Um, certainly not the Jews of his day, certainly not King Herod, but the wise men understood. God gave them a star in the east. And you know, sign for maybe somebody listening today, this, this podcast might be their star in the east. This might be their sign. Uh, and God is saying, hey, um, um, this is true, what you're hearing today. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's our prayer sign, of course, that, that, that people will hear this and, and many other uh, you know, messages you know, from folks this Christmas and, and come to know the Lord personally themselves uh, as their Savior. You know, Dan, one of the things that I find in Luke, I believe it's Luke, uh, the story, the kind of the Christmas story in Luke is um, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you have found favor, you know, be not afraid, you have found favor with God. I think, and then I think back to um, Daniel, when there's the writing on the wall, and basically it's it's something that my, you know, foreign language skills when it comes to this isn't very good, but it's like something like mini, mini, shuckle, you farsake. You have been weighed on the scales and found lacking. Okay. And you see the contrast there. You know, you had a king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was 
ruling everything at the time. You know, he had taken, you know, Daniel and the uh, Israelites into captivity, and he was the king, basically, of the world, probably at that time, but, you know, significant. And yet here as king, he was found lacking. And then you look at somebody as lowly as Mary, who has found favor with God. Yeah. And and now she's going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Yeah. You know, and so it's just interesting, an interesting correlation or parallel that, you know, again, it doesn't matter who you are. Now, you can be a great king and do God's work, or you can be a lowly carpenter's wife and you be the mother of, you know, the savior of this world. It doesn't matter. But the thing is, is that, you know, how powerful can it be to think, first off, we don't need to be afraid if God's going to use us. We don't need to be afraid. You know, to take God. You know, you mentioned the Supreme Court praying about this case before they ruled on it. And the first thing that came to mind was, you know, the people that are going to uproar about the separation of church and state. And people don't want to maybe uh, say something or do something because they're fear of backlash. You know, oh, if, if, if one of the Supreme Court justices came out and said, you know, we prayed about it, you know, there'd be great backlash. But the thing is, we don't have to fear. You know, fear not. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God and whatever that favor might be, you know, we can have uh, assurance to know that God is in control and there's nothing greater than God being in control. And so, yeah. you know, I think that's like yeah. for me, one of the, the messages that I kind of, when you kind of cross things in the Bible, you start putting things together, you just see how powerful this, you know, Christmas season is. You know, we time, yeah. we kind of, um, you know, kind of rush through it because we have to do our shopping to buy our gifts and we have to go to the mall right. and stand. I mean, I went to the mall the other day and there's people standing in line, you know, at the bath and body to buy soap. I mean, are you serious? Um, but you know, it's fine. I'm not judging, but it's, it's, it's like we get lost in what Christmas really means. And what it really means right. is we should be looking for that star that's going to draw us to Christ. And if we don't see that star, and if we're not being drawn to Christ, if we're not being drawn to Jesus and the story and the miracle that came with the birth of Jesus and what that actually yeah. means to us, then, yeah. you know, we've lost out on what the meaning of Christmas is altogether. You can watch all the Christmas movies. You can argue whether Die Hard's a Christmas movie or not. Listen to all the carols, do your shopping and everything. But if you don't find your star, if you don't realize that Jesus, the purpose of Christmas, the only purpose of Christmas, really, is Jesus being born so that he could ultimately die on the cross to save us from our sins so that we can spend all eternity with him if we repent of our sins then we've missed out on Christmas altogether, and it just becomes another day, another time of year, where all we do is go into debt, we get frustrated because we have to run around and we didn't get enough gifts for somebody or the right gift, and we start getting flustered with the season instead of sitting back and actually relishing and enjoying what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. Well, amen, Son, and, and you know, as you as you point out, Mary, I mean, you know, we think of just this this humble young woman, this humble virgin, you know, um, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, the Bible says. And, and, and so, uh, you know, the, uh, the proud religious leaders of Jesus' day were called out by the Lord um, because they were too proud to come to him. It is interesting in that, in that passage I read there where um, the one Pharisee who came to Jesus at night, um, Nicodemus in John 3, and one of the most familiar chapters in the Bible, from which, of course, we get, you know, John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In that chapter where Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, 
it was this very Pharisee then who who came and and was involved there in um, wanting to be a part of, of preparing Jesus's body then for burial. And you know, some folks have wondered, son. I mean, why seventy five pounds there of of myrrh and aloes? I mean, that's far more than would have been needed. I mean, was it that maybe? You know, Nicodemus was was feeling, um, you know, hey, I, I got to kind of make up for maybe I didn't do enough when he was was alive. So maybe now I'm going to I'm going to do this. You know, sometimes people with, with funerals, you know, sign will see tons and tons of flowers and it can be a beautiful way of remembering someone and a, and a gift of appreciation for their life. But maybe sometimes people have done that after a person's died because they realize, you know, I wish I had done more when they were alive. I don't know what Nicodemus thought, if that was part of his, his reasoning. Uh, it, it maybe was just he wanted to just, you know, so honor, you know, the Lord of glory that, that they used, you know, 75 pounds worth of, of myrrh and aloes, the, you know, the very substance that the wise men had brought at Jesus' birth. They were pointing already back then in Bethlehem to the fact that he would die a, a horrific death for our salvation. But I guess one lesson we can learn from that, Son, and hopefully everyone this Christmas, at least who's hearing this, will recognize, you know, I, I don't want to be someone who waits until it's too late to, to recognize uh, who Jesus is and what he's done. I don't want to be someone who gets to the end of his life or her life and, and then begins to um, realize, you know, what if I had done like what the wise men did where I bowed down and worshiped him? What if I had done what Nicodemus did, you know, earlier in his life where he came to the Lord and was willing to listen to the Lord and let the Lord speak to him? Um, you know, unlike, you know, to go back to what we started about earlier today on a different topic, but unlike the Supreme Court that was unwilling to even listen to the evidence, uh, maybe there's someone listening today, Son, who's willing to listen to the evidence for, uh, for the birth of the Savior and the life of the Savior and the death and resurrection of the Savior and the everlasting life that he offers as a free gift. Because nobody is going to want to get to the end and then be thinking, boy, I wish when I had that opportunity, I, I wish that I had had uh, had come to the Lord. I wish that I had uh, taken it more seriously. So my friend, if you're listening today and you maybe haven't taken this uh, very seriously at all, maybe you haven't never really heard much about it. Uh, well, now you're hearing some of the basics of the faith, uh, some of the ins and outs of, of what it means to come to the Lord in humility and repentance and faith. And why not right now? Why not just call on the Lord and, and just admit to him you're a sinner? You know, just tell him that you need him. You, you could just say, Lord Jesus, uh, please uh, forgive me. Please wash away my sin. I turn to you now. I, I, I believe that you were born in Bethlehem and that you, um, that you came and that you died for my sins and rose again. And, and I want you, Lord, in my life. Uh, that's what that Jewish scientist did, Son, back in the 70s. He just gave his life to the Lord. Um, and when he did that, Son, he said that um, he, he knew the Lord was right there in the room with him. He could, he could even sense his presence there with him. And uh, he, he's been a born-again believer ever, ever since then. Although I will say, as he shares his testimony, which, by the way, you could pull up online. Um, it, it, you could go to the website One for Israel. They have a lot of amazing testimonies of Messianic Jews. Uh, you know, Jewish men and women who come to know Christ as Savior. One for Israel. It's a wonderful website, wonderful testimonies. But anyway, uh, this Jewish scientist, uh, he, he said that, you know, uh, when he was in college, he started to have some Christians. Uh, say to him, uh, you know, talking about a born again Christian and born again. And he's like, what is born again? And, and, uh, and so that kind of started him on a journey 
of, of starting to investigate, you know, who is this Jesus? And he came to realize that the New Testament is such an incredibly Jewish book, as he says. He says, I couldn't believe how Jewish the New Testament was. And, and because he'd always been told things that weren't true about it. Uh, he said one time he tried to talk to a rabbi about it, but the rabbi just kind of dismissed him. And uh, But when people open up their minds, son, when they come before the Lord, and I'm in- encouraging you, if you're listening today, my friend, and you've never done that, will you just open your mind and just come to the Lord? Talk to him today. Ask him to forgive you. Do what that Jewish scientist did, and uh, you'll be so glad you did, and you'll receive the greatest gift of all, which as son mentioned here a week or two ago in the podcast, um, the, the first Christmas tree there was the cross. Where, where Jesus dies. If, you, if you'll come to the, that Christmas tree today, just open up the gift. It's there for you. It's got your name on it. Um, Jesus died for you. He rose again. Um, he was born for you, yes, but he also died for you. And, and that's how, where your sins were paid for. And, um, and so if you'll just come, open up that gift today by faith. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And uh, my friend, you'll be so glad you did. The greatest Christmas gift of all time is Jesus himself and the forgiveness that he won for us on the cross. is a free gift. Um, his blood will cover your sin, but only when you come to him in repentance and in faith in humility and sincerity. Come now with a contrite heart and trust the Savior, and uh, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done. You know, the other thing, Dan, we can remember, too, is for people that may have accepted Jesus at one point, and maybe they're struggling in life like we all do, um, but maybe you've gotten further away from your faith, is that, you know, no matter what you do, God's there with open arms. Jesus is there with open arms waiting for you to come back. I mean, look at Peter denied Jesus three times. Um, you know, Paul, before he was Paul, he uh, killed Christians. You know, David, like I mentioned earlier, man after God's own heart, had a relationship with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, basically, sending them to the front lines. You know, and yet all these people, after they repented, they were welcomed back. You know, Jesus there with open arms waiting for them to return. So anybody, anybody, no matter who we are on a daily basis, and it doesn't have to be as dramatic as some of the things that I mentioned from these people in the Bible. It could be just our daily lives of, of getting anger. You know, having anger, that's right. uh, lying, uh, you know, whatever it is. It could be just the simplest yeah. of things, you know, that separate us from the love of God. And that's so, right. you know, we need to constantly remember that everybody needs to continually yeah. repent and, and accept Jesus yeah. and know that he is our, you know, our God and our Savior and our King. Mm-hmm. And and so it doesn't have to be the dramatics. It could just no. be the day-to-day relationship that's right. that we have with him that we need to kind of remember to be a part of. Because even in a good relationship with God, you know, um, you know, like, for example, pastors, we all assume pastors have great relationships, right? And you guys, right, you know, do right. nothing wrong, but you guys have your own <laughs> yeah. you know, day-to-day struggles. But even then, right. even when we're on good terms, we tend to put God in the cupboard or in the closet oh, or yeah. someplace else. And we bring right. the Bible and we may be, you know, doing our, going through the motions, That's but right. we kind of forget about them. You know, we got to remember mm-hmm. that day-to-day, it's a daily relationship and that he, yeah. he wants us to be able to commune with him on a daily basis. And when That's we, right. when That's we right. do that, and when we do that on a daily basis or when we do that, we know that God is there and he will always be there for us. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. He's always there with open arms. And things yeah. Yeah. tend to then, like we talk about here, the views and the things of this world tend to take on a different mm-hmm. perspective when we start to have understanding and clarity. Well, that's right, son. And, you know, um, as you're talking, you know, one thing I'm thinking of is that you know, the gospel, thankfully, son, it's not just for unbelievers, it's also for Christians. And as you say, I mean, we, we who know the Lord, 
Um, we need the gospel every day. We need that forgiveness every day. We need the fullness of the spirit every day. You know, one thing I like to say is though, is that, um, you know, God can help us to live every day as though Jesus died yesterday, arose today, and is coming back tomorrow. But even with that wonderful attitude sound, there's still something else, though, that we need. The very thing that Jesus told the disciples to wait in the city until they had received, uh, the gift of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, the Son, in order to give us that, that want to and the power then to live for the Lord. Because I don't care who we are, how long we've been a Christian, you know, missionary, pastor, this, that, whatever. It doesn't matter um, in terms of now today, if I'm not coming to the well, if I'm not coming to the waterfall of God's grace, if I'm not seeking the Holy Spirit, allowing him to flow in me and through me. If I'm not yielding myself to him today, well, then yesterday's victories, last year's victories in the spirit, um, it, it won't make today a spirit-filled day unless I'm yielding to the spirit today and seeking the fullness, waiting upon God as they were there um, leading up to Pentecost. So so Christmas is a great time, son, and we're still kind of in that, that season you know, of Advent and, and waiting for Christmas. Well, Every day is to be a, a waiting time um, for God to fill us and use us. You know, I love a, a, a little phrase that um, is used uh, by, uh, I believe it was uh, Oswald Chambers, um, but, um, and it may, have been, it may have been someone else, but, but the beautiful phrase is, you know, it's not uh, overwork, but overflow. Not overwork, but overflow. Now, he wasn't saying by that we shouldn't be working hard for the Lord. What he was saying is this. Um, without the overflow of the Holy Spirit in our life, all that we're doing, it can just become mechanical. Um, it, it can become just, go, as you said, son, going through the motions. I mean, we're all, that's all any of us are going to do without the Holy Spirit. So unless we become like children again and say, Lord, fall fresh on me, you know, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me, unless we... We, we allow the Holy Spirit to do that in us, son, then it will become just mechanical. And as you, as you beautifully pointed out too, son, I mean, we all continually, you know, we fall short. Um, we need God's forgiveness. We've got so far to, to go and to grow in our Christian life, but, but it doesn't have to be a burden to, to, to walk with the Lord. I mean, yes, it's a burden to face persecution as many Christians do. That's a huge, uh, a cross to carry. But it does never has to be a burden to live for the Lord and, and to know the Lord and enjoy the Lord. And, and so um, with all the challenges even that we've had this year, son, with COVID and everything else, um, all the election stuff, everything else, um, uh, we, we serve a, a, a beautiful Savior um, who was born in Bethlehem and who gave his life for us. And so um, may God just help each listener and, and help you and I and our families here this Christmas on just to enjoy the Lord's presence and, and share that joy with one another. And wherever we're feeling short or lacking or in need of God's, you know, just uh, assurance or forgiveness or power, uh, we can go to him today and, and ask him for that. And he'll be glad to give that to us because son, we, we, we don't want to ever forget God's on our side. I mean, he's on the side of anyone who will be on the side of his son. I mean, if you want to be on God's side, then accept Jesus and walk with Jesus. You'll be on his side and he'll have your back, you know. Um, but, but even if that means um, God allowing you to go through persecution uh, for a short time, for a short time, just remember, uh, Jesus endured uh, terrible suffering for a short time so that you and I could enjoy uh, eternal paradise with the Lord, eternal pleasures, eternal praise forever in heaven um, because of what Christ did for us. So, so hang in there. 
Um, uh, sometimes, as Oswald Chambers says, we have to battle through our moods, you know, and uh, there are a lot of moods at Christmas, a lot of good moods, but, but life doesn't always just have good moods. So, my friend, don't forget to ask God to help you battle through your moods. Um, don't make, you know, major decisions when you're really emotional or struggling. You know, get around some other friends, Christians, you know, hang out with them, be encouraged by them. Listen to a lot of stuff like this podcast and a lot of good Christian music and stuff, and you'll find that, you know, you'll find your your soul being refreshed once again in the Lord. And it'll be a blessing. Dan Delzell, author at the Christian Post, a pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska. Uh, Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate your time as always. We look forward to furthering the conversation as we continue on and even into the new year. And uh, we just thank you for uh, for your time joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Son. Thank you as well for the wonderful work you're doing with this podcast, for the privilege to uh, be able to visit with you on these podcasts and and a Merry Christmas uh, to you and to all the listeners. And may the joy of the Lord just fill everyone's heart now as we uh, as we prepare for the Savior's birth. I look forward to our, our next visit, Son, as we uh, start to uh, you know finish up this year and, and move into the new year. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'm sure we'll probably have a conversation before, but in case you miss out on that, uh, just wishing you a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. And until next time, God bless.